Brian Koberger may just get that genetic genealogy information he is requesting. Alec Murdoch is hopping mad that the system was rigged. Video of the Pennsylvania escapee has been released. That 70s show star Danny Masterson, he found out his fate. Sam Bankman-Fried is denied his appeal. Trump employee is going to testify against the former president. And Hunter Biden has a gun charge indictment coming his way. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talks. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below about what we discussed today and hit that little bell so that you receive notifications of when we go live or put up new content. And please remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. So let's go ahead and open the record for September 7th, 2023. And let's handle the first matter on the docket today, Brian Koberger. And as I said in the intro, he may just get the genetic genealogy information he is requesting. Well, what exactly is he talking about? Well, as you recall, back in August, August 18th to be exact, Brian Koberger had a hearing. And they had a hearing saying that they should be entitled to get the information that the Idaho State Police, as well as the FBI, used in obtaining this genealogical information that they used to ultimately create a match as it relates to Brian Koberger. As you may recall, Brian Koberger's alleged DNA was found at the crime scene of the four young uh, college students. They put the DNA profile that was developed into the CODIS system, which is the governmental database for DNA. It's basically people that have been previously convicted of a crime. It goes back to a federal act started in 1994. Well, the problem with that is if the person has no criminal history, they're not going to be in the CODA system. So the police then took the information that they have and they went to some private genealogical companies and said, hey, we have this profile. Can you help us out? They ultimately lead to a profile of a family member of Brian Koberger. They need to try and match it. So what do they do? They get the pizza box from his dad, develop the DNA profile. They take that profile. Then they take that profile back and they compare it to the lab where they ultimately use that to establish the profile and determine that it is in fact Brian Koberger. They match the DNA profile on the uh, knife sheath and then he gets arrested. Well, like any good defense attorney is going to say is, well, gee, uh, I guess we should just trust everything the government has done up to this point and uh, good to go. No, Brian Koberger's attorneys are saying, hey, that's really interesting how you got that information. And some of that, well, you may have done some unethical things to actually obtain that information. And the defense is asking for, and they've called expert witnesses as to why they should get this information. They're not asking for the entire genealogical database. They're simply requesting for the profile that was created from that genealogical database. The prosecution says they have it. They say they'll turn it over to the defense, but they want a protective order. The defense says we'll do it, but yet the state is still fighting it. So anyway, at that hearing on August 18th, there was four expert witnesses that testified for the defense. The prosecution cross-examined two, and they basically said, we want to reserve uh, cross-examination for uh, two of those witnesses at a later date. The court allowed them to do that, which is really surprising. You would think they'd just be like, the witness is here. You knew you had a hearing. Cross-examine away. 
But the court didn't allow that to take place. Well, the prosecution filed a notice saying we're not going to cross-examine those witnesses. And what they did was they uh, provided a transcript to another case there in Idaho, a case by the name of State v. D-A-L-R-Y-M-P-L-E. Darmipel? Darmipel? I don't know how to pronounce it, but that's the name of the case. And in that particular case, they were seeking a protective order relating to a database that produced information leading to the defendant's arrest. However, the judge in that one was a little bit different because they didn't have the benefit of the expert testimony relating to the forensic investigative genetic genealogical process. And the defense notes that it's noteworthy that even without the benefit of that testimony, the judge concluded that the state needed to turn over in discovery everything in their possession relating to the genetic genealogy, and the defense was welcome to bring further motions on that issue. And the defense clarifies in this particular pleading that they've filed in response saying that Mr. Kohlberger is not asking for the genetic genealogical database rather the analysis and the documentation used to identify him. Mr. Koberger uh, has also asked for the NSP profile and the state has agreed to provide that. That's significant. The NSP is like, it's, it's the match uh, that, that they came up with. And the defense should be able to have access to that. And the defense should be able to have their experts look at it. And why? Because they use that to establish probable cause to go get the 411 DNA order so that they can get Brian Koberger's DNA to test it to the to the profile uh, that was developed from the sheath. Well, if there's a flaw in that, then they may not be able to use the DNA because, well, the affidavit may have been made in reckless disregard for the truth. It's kind of interesting. Now, in this filing by the defense, it's kind of lengthy. There are actually several um, articles in regards to some of the sketchy things that go on when it relates to your DNA genetic database that you send off to the various uh, private uh, genetic genealogy uh, companies that they're going to you know match you with your your uh, profile to see where your genealogy lies. Yeah, they can get around the information that they say is going to be private. Um, some questionable things go on uh, ethically. And then they also produce a copy of the United States Department of Justice interim policy as it relates to forensic genetic genealogy, uh, DNA analysis, and searching. And they go through and explain why uh, various things are done. You need to comply. And oh, yeah, you shouldn't do things that aren't legally and ethically done in order to get a conviction. Oh, that's right. That's what we do. Now, like I said, don't get me wrong. Do I think Brian Koberger is innocent? Well, we'll give him the presumption of innocence. We will. But there's a lot of evidence pointing towards him and the fact that his DNA was there, assuming that is his DNA, that's a bad fact that he may have to overcome. His attorneys are doing everything they're supposed to be doing and that they're entitled to see the information that the government relied upon to create the affidavit, to create probable cause, to get him arrested, and to ultimately compare the DNA match to the sheath as it relates to Goldberger that they're saying. The bigger issue is, is why is the government fighting this? Why? Now, one thing I've learned in litigation over the last uh, 28 years, ladies and gentlemen, it's not what they give you. You spend most of your time fighting for what they're not giving you. 
And then you have to ask yourself, why are they not giving the information that they have and they won't produce it? Now, I don't know what's going on, but it makes you wonder, makes you wonder, why do they not want the defense to have that? Next, Alec Murdoch. He is hopping mad that the system was rigged against him. Can you imagine Alec Murdoch, the attorney who made millions and millions of dollars over the years and stole millions and millions of dollars from people, is outraged that the system was rigged against him. Gee, I wonder if he ever had a court clerk tell him how the uh, jury deliberations were going on a PI case. You wonder, Alec? Oh, it's amazing. Anyway, apparently old Alec Murdoch is seething over allegations that the jury tampering that allegedly took place at his double murder trial. Now, his attorney, Jim Griffin, um, gave an interview, and he said that the assertion was made hours after he and his uh, high-profile partner, Dick Harpatulian, filed a motion demanding a new trial based upon allegations a clerk tampered with jurors and swayed them towards a verdict. Now, this was a 65-page motion centered around the Culleton County clerk, a woman by the name of Rebecca Hill. And she is accused of discussing Murdoch's guilt with jurors and trying to coerce a conviction, well, to help secure her book deal. Now, in their motion, the attorneys cited newly discovered evidence obtained during conversations with two jurors in particular who were allegedly advised by the clerk, Ms. Hill, to not believe Murdoch's testimony and other facets of the defense. And um, Mr. Griffin uh, continued and revealed that uh, he has spoken to the uh, attorney, given uh, some insight into his reaction. It took George just three hours to find Mr. Murdoch guilty of killing his wife and son. Now, the real issue is going to be, now let me get, let's just be clear here. Does the state of South Carolina want a new trial for Alec Murdoch? No. Do they want to have a new trial because a clerk messed something up? Absolutely not. But if these allegations are true, guess what? It needs to be done. Now, the court could probably go through some legal gymnastics and say, you know, you're entitled to a, a um, fair trial, but not a perfect trial. And all these jurors stated when they were polled that this was their decision. They still found Mr. Murdoch, you know, guilty. So really, what's the big issue? I mean, you know, well, it shouldn't happen again. But, you know, really, what's, what's the issue? The, that's what is going to happen. Now, what a couple of things I think is curious is, is that Ms. Hill hasn't made a statement. She's not denying that these allegations uh, are made. And given the fact that uh, Murdoch's attorneys have asked that the United States attorney investigate whether there are violations of his federal civil rights, she probably shouldn't say a word. That's the bottom line. But apparently Mr. Murdoch is angry, but thankful for everyone that's uh, continuing to uh, fight on his behalf. And what really hurts Mr. Murdoch, I know, wait for it, wait for it. What really hurts Alec Murdoch is he thought that Becky Hill was a friend of his. He's known her for quite a while while he was practicing law. <laughs> apparently she didn't like him even before he was accused of killing his wife and son. Anyway, the attorneys for Murdoch allege that... Uh, uh, Ms. Griffin told jurors not to be fooled by uh, the defense's case and that she warned jurors to watch Murdoch closely. These uh, revelations that uh, apparently these jurors have sworn to in um, affidavits. Now, frankly, uh, Alec Murdoch's defense team wasn't looking for this, but there were some hints of alleged misconduct that came out, but they really were kind of hit some dead ends. 
But then when the clerk's book came out, apparently some of the jurors read it, they were a little uneasy. And so they actually reached out to the Murdoch team and um, made these allegations uh, to be known. Now, the attorney also complained that when they attempted to investigate this, they kind of ran into a zone of silence uh, around the jury. And uh, they reached out, and obviously uh, not a whole lot would uh, talk to them. And said then things gradually changed, citing the uh, recent uh, release of Hill's book about the proceedings, and it's called Behind the Doors of Justice, The Murdoch Murders which came out last month. Now, Griffin said it served as the impetus for a number of jurors coming forward after they became more acquainted with the clerk's mindset throughout the two-month-long trial. Then jurors, who obviously were not comfortable in how she handled matters and even less comfortable with her going on a book tour and making money on it, reported these alleged incidents to the Murdoch team. She's making a whole lot of money. That's the point. Trying to make money off selling a book. Mr. Murdoch's attorneys are claiming slamming that memoir is not well written either. He added the story is not accurate in his opinion. And meanwhile, Ms. Hill has already seen her book jump to Amazon's bestseller list where it remains despite the recent allegations of uh, her alleged misconduct. I don't know. Should her book be canceled? I don't know. No, it shouldn't be. But if allegations are true, she's got some troubles coming back and probably going to She's probably going to have to give back that uh, promotional advance that she got as well, if it turns out to be true. Some more allegations that uh, were aired in the motions uh, is that Ms. Hill knowingly presented false information to Judge Clifton Newman to get a juror she thought was sympathetic to Murdoch kicked off the panel and that she pressured jurors to reach a quick verdict. It's also claimed she had frequent private conversations with the jury foreperson to make this happen and that in order to get the jurors she believed to be sympathetic booted off the eve of deliberations, she created a phony story about a non-existent Facebook post published by the woman's ex-husband. In it, Hill told Judge Newman the man posted about the case and said his wife was seeking to acquit Murdoch and admitted himself to be under the influence of alcohol. Well, apparently none of that is true according to Murdoch's attorneys. We talked to the ex-husband. Sled apparently hadn't gone to interview them, and it did not happen. There's no such Facebook posts at all. The attorneys for Murdoch added that uh, when Miss Hill was asked to produce the Facebook post, she came up with a story about it being deleted and found an apology post posted by someone with the ex-husband's same name. He claimed But the dates on the apology post predated anything she claimed she saw on Facebook. And these new documents further allege Hill invented the post. Miss Hill never saw any such Facebook post. She made the whole thing up. That's at least the allegations in the affidavit from the jurors. Now, the juror's former spouse also denied the allegation that he wrote the post and a follow-up apology in a sworn affidavit as well. Now, Judge Newman ultimately dismissed the juror in question, but appeared to chide Miss Hill at the time, stating, oh boy, I'm not too pleased about the clerk interrogating a juror as opposed to coming to me and bringing it to the court's attention. Now, the lawyer said there are additional jurors who won't speak to them, so they want them to be subpoenaed to testify under oath. I say, let's have a hearing. Now, the attorneys uh, also claim that Ms. Hill told the jury not to be fooled by Murdoch's testimony. If these jurors are to be believed, it is an impossible burden by the state 
and we get a new trial. The defense team also is concerned that SLED, which led the murder investigation, would try to pressure juries as well as to not coming forward. But Murdoch's team is hoping those jurors do what the others have done and give full affidavits. Now, Miss Hill, who is on her first term as the elected clerk of the court, like I said, published this uh, book and was published in July. Now, two jurors that did sign affidavits have an, an attorney and uh, said that uh, the attorney stated that the clients reluctantly agreed to speak to the defense team. And he added, this is one of those chips fall where they may type of situations. He says he has a lot of regard for the clerk. And unfortunately, we find ourselves here. He says it's hard to say where this goes, but it is a challenge to our court system to evaluate all this and determine what is the next right thing to do. And he will say that the assertions by the defense today with statements made by people that he represents, they're serious, and there certainly is a way that the court could find that this cannot be assigned as harmless error, which means do-over. The attorney for the witnesses also says what I say, we're just going to have to wait and see what the court decides to do. And obviously, the attorneys for Mr. Murdoch are arguing that Ms. Hill breached the South Carolina Code, which states, quote, no public official, public member, or public employee may knowingly use his official office, membership, or employment to obtain an economic interest for himself. And Hill is understood to have also organized a post-trial drink with members of the media and the court staff following the Murdoch's double murder conviction. Certainly, this is another twist in the Murdoch case. We'll have to see where things go. Now, as for Mr. Murdoch, well, he's still in custody, serving the two life sentences at the Maximum Security Correctional Facility at McCormick Correctional Institution. He is being kept separate from the general population in a comfy eight by 10 cell. Next on the docket, take a look at this video. Yes, the fugitive, the manhunt to find the murderer who escaped prison has entered into its eighth day and police have now increased the reward to $20,000. Daniello Cavalcante escaped from the Chester County Maximum Security Prison in Philadelphia last Thursday morning, needless to say, sparking a uh, big manhunt and the killer is still on the streets. Now, as of Thursday morning, the uh, Mr. Cavalcante is still on the run, and the felon scaled the wall in the exercise yard and made his way over two razor-wired topped fences. Take a look at that. He was just two weeks into his life sentence when he successfully escaped. Now, police released the uh, security camera footage of the inmate scaling the wall while his uh, fellow uh, convicts were playing basketball in the prison yard. The warden, a guy by the name of Howard Holland, admitted it took over an hour for law enforcement to be, even be alerted to the fugitive, and uh, the other on-duty tower guard failed to spot him. No word on whether the warden is going to lose his job or the people that was required to watch him, whether they're going to lose their job. Of course not. They work for the government. Anyway, Cavalcante was handed a life sentence just two weeks ago for the April 2021 murder of his ex-girlfriend, Deborah Brando, a mother of two children. He is uh, convicted of stabbing her more than 30 times in the upper torso and neck while her kids screamed for him to stop. Nice guy. 
Since fleeing the prison, the convict has been spotted at least six times in surrounding towns. One man found him stealing fruit from his kitchen before he actually ran away. We'll keep you updated on that. Well, Danny Masterson, that's right. The 70s show star, he's found out his fate today. 30 years in prison for the rapes of two women two decades ago. The Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Charlene Almedo sentenced uh, Masterson um, after ruling on some defense motions that were obviously rejected and uh, hearing the victim impact statements. The, uh, a jury of seven women and five men found Masterson guilty of two counts back on May 31st after seven days of deliberations. Both attacks took place in Masterson's Hollywood area home back in 2003 when he was at the height of his fame at the um, show, That 70s Show. Now, the jury could not reach a unanimous verdict on a third count, an allegation that alleged Masterson also raped a longtime girlfriend. Prosecutors allege that Masterson used his prominence in the Church of Scientology, where all three women were also members at the time, to avoid consequences for decades after the attacks. Now, the church said in a statement after the verdict that the testimony and the description of Scientology beliefs during the trial were uniformly false, and the church had no policy prohibiting or even discouraging any member from reporting criminal conduct of anyone, Scientologist or not, to law enforcement. Now, at trial, Mr. Masterson did not testify in his own defense, and his lawyers called no witnesses. That's not uncommon in a criminal case. It really is not. Well, the defense argued that the acts were simply consensual and attempted to discredit the women's stories by highlighting changes and inconsistencies over time in their stories, which shows that they had signs of coordinating their stories amongst themselves. The women whose testimony led to Masterson's conviction said that in 2003, he gave them drinks and then they became woozy and passed out before he took advantage of them. Now, Ormeda allowed prosecutors and the accusers to say directly in the second trial that Masterson drugged the women, while only allowing the women to describe their condition in the first trial that resulted in a hung jury. That is going to be the big issue on appeal. That is classic 404B evidence. What do, they, what do we say? If they need 404B, they don't have enough for a conviction. Anyway, Mr. Masterson will remain in custody while his appeal is pending. Ah, yes, Sam Bankman-Fried, our lovable little con man. He is going to remain in custody. Old Sam Bankman-Fried, known among his close friends, lost his bid to be freed immediately from the uh, detention center where he would prefer to be at home to prepare for his criminal trial, which is less than a month away. And that all is regarding to the collapse of uh, his FTX cryptocurrency exchange. Now, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals um, rejected Sam Bankman's freed request. And that nonetheless, they said uh, that they would ask the three-judge panel to reconsider its decision. Now, a spokesperson for all SBF declined comment. And the United States District Court Judge Lewis Kaplan on August 11th, as you may recall, revoked old Sam Bankman-Fried's $250 million personal recognizance bond after finding out that the now no longer a billionaire guy likely tampered with witnesses at least twice. Sam Bankman-Fried quickly appealed, arguing he would be unable to properly prepare for his trial that begins on October 3rd. The prosecution pushed for old SBF to be jailed after he shared 
the personal writings of Caroline Ellison, Almeida's former chief executive and his one-time romantic partner with the New York Times. Bankman Freed has pled not guilty to the fraud, and obviously we'll give him that presumption of innocence. Anyhow, uh, Mr. Miss Ellison is expected to testify against Mr. Sang Bankman Freed, hence the reason why it could be considered witness tampering by revealing intimate writings of hers. And uh, Sam Bankman Freed's lawyers are continuing to say that the arrangements to provide them access to their clients several hours a day to review evidence on a laptop at the uh, Metropolitan Detention Center has proven to be inadequate. And they said that they lost more than four hours on Friday when he had to return to his cell for a prisoner count. And they lost more time to prepare over the weekend as well. Apparently, a second uh, laptop has been authorized for old SBF, but it's still uh, inconvenient to say the least. A couple of things. You can appeal a detention hearing in federal court. It goes to the next level. Since a magistrate didn't do it, it was a district court judge and went straight to the Court of Appeals. It is an abuse of discretion, which basically means there should be no basis, in fact, for the judge to make the decision. Completely abused their discretion. Of course, the judge didn't abuse their discretion. He heard evidence, he heard argument, and he made a decision to revoke his bond. And now that's where he is going to remain. And more than likely where he will remain after his trial, assuming he is convicted, um, he will remain in custody. Obviously, we'll see how that goes. Unfortunately, that case, once again, won't be televised because it is in U.S. District Court. Next on the docket, yep, a former employee of Donald Trump is going to testify against him. The director of information technology at Mar-a-Lago has agreed to cooperate with special counsel Jack Smith in a deal that will allow him to completely avoid any criminal charges in the federal case over former President Donald Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents. Now, the witness described in a Justice Department court filing dated Tuesday as Trump employee number four and uh, identified by several media outlets as Yuskul Tavares had previously recanted false testimony in certain statements that he gave in regards to the documents case. He did this after he switched lawyers and learned that he had left himself exposed to possible perjury charges. Now, let's just assume somebody was paying for his attorney and he was on a particular side. He got independent counsel, switched, what have you, um, and now is moving forward. And he jumped onto Team USA um, to save himself. And I'm sure no one is paying for his legal defense fund any longer. Anyway, the uh, special counsel immediately offered Trump employee number four a non-prosecution agreement after he changed lawyers his former defense attorney, Stanley Woodward. Now, represented by first assistant federal public defender, that's right, now he's a public defender, Trump employee number four, then entered into a cooperation agreement with the government and testified before the grand jury in the Southern District of Florida on July 20th, which ultimately led to the superseding indictment. Now, Mr. Tavares has uh, provided Smith's team with incriminating information that led to the uh, superseding indictment against the former president and is related to the alleged effort to delete surveillance camera footage taken at Trump's Palm Beach, Florida club and residents where prosecutors have said this all took place. Tavares flipped after prosecutors raised concern about a possible conflict of interest between him and Trump co-defendant Walt Nata, who were both being represented by Woodward before the IT 
director struck his cooperation agreement with Mr. Smith. Yes, that is a conflict. In a criminal case, everybody gets their own attorneys. Now, Woodward charges that Smith's office sought to undermine the attorney-client relationship, and he argues that the court should preclude Trump employee number four from testifying at a trial in this matter. Pretty unlikely that that will take place, certainly subject for cross-examination, but that witness is going to testify. Obviously, the former president has denied any wrongdoing, has pled not guilty to all the charges, and he has a trial coming up in May of next year in Miami. And for those of you who are gonna say, oh my gosh, you're beating up on Trump. Nope, we're not. Guess what? Hunter Biden, who is a scum of the earth, he's gonna face charges for illegally possessing a firearm while he was using drugs. Yep. It's coming, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it's funny. They've known about this for years, if you really want to think about how sleazy and slimy this is. But only after the deal blew up and only after Hunter Biden says he enters a plea of not guilty, after years and years of slow walking this entire case, they're finally going to do something on this. If this were you or if this was me, we would have been indicted just like that when they found out that you were a drug addict and you had a gun. You can't do that. You gotta read the little form. You have a drug issue, you're addicted to drugs, you can't have a gun. Clearly, by Hunter Biden's own admissions, he was a drug addict. He's been to rehab four times. Probably not someone we wanna have a gun. Anyway, he's Mr. Uh, Hunter Biden is uh, expected to be indicted by the end of September. And as you may recall, like I said, the president's son had reached a deal that would have allowed him to avoid trial for the firearms charge if he abided by supervised release conditions for basically a period of 24 months. I have jokingly asked a United States attorney for the Biden deal. He scowled at me and did not think it was funny. I think he was actually offended of such a sweetheart deal it is since it's kind of his job to prosecute these type of cases. But now Hunter Biden could get up to 10 years in prison. Now, let's face it, that's not going to happen, but he could still get some prison time. Just That's just the way it is. Now, do we really think even if he pleads guilty, do you think he's, his dad is going to let him go to prison? No, this has pardon written all over it. And of course, Hunter has other issues and relates to the investigation of foreign business dealings, which are also the focus of several probes by House Republicans in Congress. Under the original deal, Hunter was to uh, be spared jail time when uh, Weiss, the United States Attorney for Delaware, and his lawyers inked a plea deal where the younger Biden would plead guilty to two misdemeanor crimes for failure to pay more than $100,000 in taxes. Because accordingly that year, Hunter made about $1.5 million in income that year and was only going to pay the 100000 in taxes, underpaid it. As part of that plea deal, he would have avoided prosecution for the gun charge, like I said, as long as he uh, did, didn't get in any trouble for the next 24 months. And now he's going to have to face for the fact that in 2018, he lied on a gun application. The uh, document actually shows that Mr. Hunter Biden answered no when asked if he was an unlawful user or addicted to marijuana or any depressant stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance. Yep, it's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. Remember the lady who sold the, bought the gun that the kid took the gun to school? Guess what she's going to prison for? Lying on this little form because she was addicted to 
marijuana. Just saying. Hunter Biden was addicted to crack. Now, like I said, Hunter um, obviously has admitted that he has a drug issue and he's been to rehab at least four times, and he also put it in his memoirs. Needless to say, uh, the opposing party in uh, Washington uh, believes that the son is still getting a sweetheart deal. But like I said, it did fall apart when he was in uh, Delaware courtroom when the uh, judge, uh, Marlene Norica, uh, basically said that uh, she had discovered some problems with the plea agreement and the whole deal fell apart in court. Now, I think ultimately this will be resolved short of it. Uh, but let's face it, is Hunter Biden in any jeopardy of going to prison? No, he is not. Like I said, he will more than likely be pardoned by his father if he gets to the point where that's where he is actually going to go. Don't think it's going to happen. And next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day. Police allege that Idol Noi Quesada tangled with some workers after unsuccessfully trying to buy some cigarettes at a Walgreens store in Clearwater, Florida. Now, Mr. Noy Quesada had shown a photo ID card, but was refused service due to the business policy, which they had to actually show a actual driver's license. Well, once he was denied the uh, cigarettes, Mr. Noy Quesada reportedly became irate and began throwing Snickers bars at the female employee who was hit in the face by the candy, which contains nougat, caramel, and peanuts, all of which are enrobed in milk chocolate and obviously processed at a plant that may contain peanuts and gluten. Anyway, a second worker then told Mr. Noy Quesada to leave the store, but he then refused because no, he must stick around, create more trouble and get arrested. He appeared to be intoxicated and then allegedly threw several more Snickers bar at the other Walgreens employee, striking that employee in the chest. My God, this is almost like a dangerous weapon. Anyway, while Mr. Noy Quesada claimed that he didn't mean to throw the candy at the second worker, surveillance footage clearly showed it was an intentional act to throw the Snickers bar. Additionally, two of the defendant's cousins corroborated the female worker's statement that Noy Quesada, the drunk guy, threw Snickers bar at her, and he was arrested for misdemeanor battery counts. He was booked into the county jail, and he was released on a $1,000 bond. Now, just going on a limb here, but do you think old Mr. Noy Casada, after realizing all that took place, he didn't get his cigarettes, he got arrested, had to post a bond, probably going to have to self get an attorney, take time off to, for work, probably get some useful public service hours, have to take one of those ridiculous uh, anger management classes over the course of his time. And since he was on alcohol, he'll probably have to do some alcohol drug treatment, UAs, all that kind of good stuff. Do you think he could have just left and walked down and gone to another store to get his cigarettes? Well, that's what a normal, rational person would have done. But no, not Mr. Noy Casada. That's why Mr. Noy Casada, you are our dumb criminal of the day. Congratulations, you made it. Thanks for watching. I know it was a long show today. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.